Hey guys, it's Nerd Talk Dan, and I'm back with this week's Star Trek Picard episode review. First, I want to take a quick second to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button, and that bell icon. You might want to shoot that with your phaser, and you'll get notifications whenever I release a new video, and really, who doesn't want that? Anyways, on to the review. This week's episode, episode 3, is called The End is the Beginning, directed by Hanel Culpepper, and written by... Michael Chabon, and James Duff. Duffman says Star Trek Picard is great. Oh yeah! Wow, that was really, really awkward, wasn't it? So, we start with a flashback to 14 years ago, just after the attack on Mars by the synthetics. Then Admiral Picard walks out from Starfleet headquarters and has a conversation with his then first officer, not Riker, but Lieutenant... Commander Rafi. Uh, Rafi is played by Michelle Hurd from Law & Order SVU. Not my favorite Law & Order, but... And they are discussing the situation. Will Starfleet still back the Romulan evacuation to escape from the supernova? We find out, of course, that they said no. And Picard tried to leverage this last thing that he thought they couldn't say no to. His resignation. He said, if you don't back this revised evacuation plan that my crew and I have put together, then I'll have no choice but to tender my resignation. He assumed that he was just that important to the Federation and Starfleet. Not, And this is not hubris, really. Again, this guy has saved the Federation. He thought he, would, he was just invaluable to this system. And to his surprise, they accepted it. We flash forward and we pick up where the last episode... Uh, left us. Picard and Rafi are having a conversation at Rafi's home. I guess you can call it that. Uh, we see that Rafi is not living in what we would consider ideal conditions uh, given the post-scarcity economics of the Federation. And she may or may not be some kind of drug user. Um, she's clearly not in the best mental state. Uh, she gets angry at Picard. She's hurt that over the last 14 years so not only did Picard cost her her career in Starfleet, over the ensuing 14 years, he never tried to establish contact with Rafi again, just to see how she's doing. And this is a big problem I have with the way Picard is being portrayed, uh, because we see in episode two, he says, uh, you know, I have to help the friend I've been mourning for 20 years. So he's still mourning Data. He has this immense loyalty to Data, but his old first officer, he, he couldn't pick up his combat or just send a message, send an email, just saying, hey Rafi, are you doing okay? I know you're still mad at me, but I hope you're doing well. Just keep dropping the line to let her know that he's thinking about her. Granted, Picard over the last 14 years was also in a funk, so whether or not that can be excused, I don't know, but the Picard we grew up knowing has a sense of responsibility to his crew. Now, you can either play it the one way, which is, okay, he did keep a pro professional distance, so he was friendly and maybe close as he could be as a commanding officer to, for example, Riker, Deanna, Data, and all the Enterprise crew, but he always kept that professional barrier around because he might need to send them to their deaths, as uh, was shown when uh, Deanna had, was trying to get her commander's certification so she could be, uh, she could do bridge watch. Uh, that's very, very important. It's important in any type of career where you're in a management position. A teacher, military leader, or something, manager, any type of manager, you need to have some kind of distance. It helps uh, because sometimes you have to make the hard choices. This show is starting with the premise that Picard bonded as like soulmates with Data and Presumably, you know, he's going to be super, super close with uh, the TNG crew that we see later. And that's not a bad thing, but then he, he wasn't consistently loyal across the spectrum of other officers with whom he worked. And in this case, Rafi, that seems like a really, really crappy thing for Picard to do. Um, and maybe in this case, she has a right to be a little peeved. She kind of dismisses him while she starts downing this bottle of wine he brought. A red wine, by the way, my favorite, a good red wine. But she does tell him, I did find you a pilot and a ship that will get you wherever you need to go. So despite her 
simmering anger toward him. She's still loyal to JL, and uh, we'll talk about the nickname. I know, uh, the, the whole internet is inflamed about JL, and we're going to talk about it uh, at, toward the end, because it, it feels kind of strange in the way that it was used. Uh, we cut to the board cube, and Soji is obviously just trying to do what she can. She's doing her job when enter Hugh. Hugh was a Borg from TNG era who, who, who was separated from the Collective. And what they were going to do is they were going to program him with a virus, send him back to the Collective and hope that it resulted in a the collapse of the Collective, right? But Picard, being Picard, said, no, 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 no. Just because they're the enemy doesn't mean we can commit genocide on them. So the hope was, okay, this Borg... We taught him, we gave him a little glimpse of independence. So we're going to send him back and hope that the independent nature of Hugh, the freedom of thought, kind of reverberates through the hive, through the collective, and maybe just instills that seed, that, that small nugget of hope and desire for independence that all sentient things have, and maybe that's going to be enough to cause the collective to break down and reform itself into something less menacing. Hugh has been severed from the hive. Presumably he was on this cube that uh, got cut off from the collective. This might be his fault. So what the hive, what might have happened was when they sent Hugh back to the collective, the queen or the collective as a whole recognized the threat that his thought process presented. They might have just severed that cube because remember, to the Borg, with as much resources and can't really call them personnel, but uh, individual drones as they have, cutting off a single cube for even as massive as and with as many drones as it has, that's like cutting off a like a little bit of your fingernail. It's nothing to them, and it means nothing because they're preserving the collective. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few in this case. So severed that, uh, and they call this uh, matrix collapse, which is kind of a cool term. So, Hugh, who has been freed from the Collective, and by the way, Hugh, he was like a kid uh, or a teenager during TNG, but he grew up into this really, really kind of good-looking, square-jawed guy, but he still got all these Borg parts. And this actor who plays Hugh, he has a little bit of gravitas now, and I remember when I, whenever I watched the Hugh episode, he still, he, he seemed like he had... Locutus, you are this. He's playing it like a robot, right? He's still inexperienced, but you feel the uh, the power of this actor here. I guess what's happening is I'm crushing on the actor who plays Hugh. So Hugh uh, compliments Soji and says, Look, you spoke to that uh, free drone from episode two in its own language, and that shows a certain amount of compassion, and that helps the process. I, I appreciate that. I want to offer you a chance uh, to speak to a freed drone that you've been kind of pestering me about. This drone was a Romulan who was assimilated. Now, we're taken to almost like a mental ward within this cube. Some drones, when they're freed from the collective, they don't readjust to individual life correctly, or whatever process of assimilation is screwed with their brain enough that they can never be whole again post-assimilation. They're showing signs of like schizophrenia, paranoia, and that kind of stuff. Uh, very stereotypical mental illness displays, but that's what it is. Soji knows that all the ones who are demonstrating mental, I guess, disability are Romulan. So for some reason, Romulan and assimilation don't work well together. And I think this is kind of a starting thread for what the Jadvash are uh, why and why Romulans don't like synthetic life. She starts talking to this one Romulan woman and she's this woman's playing like almost like tar tarot cards and Soji's trying to communicate with her, trying to get her to say something and she says, is are these cards based off your mythology? And that's the first time this Romulan speaks back. She says, I hate the word mythology. We don't have such a word in Romulan. So Soji says, what what word do you have? The news. There is no such thing as mythology. Everything is real. 
Um, Soji goes on to say this weird uh, sentence, which I feel like it's supposed to sound deep, and maybe it is, and I'm just kind of like a little dense, but it didn't really make sense. Uh, something about using mythology to create a structural framework with which to help these, these former drones reintegrate, and that the mythology is just as real as the news. So I guess if reality post-assimilation is such so incomprehensible to these people, by giving these drones the framework of mythology with which to restructure how they perceive the world, that will get their minds working in a useful fashion in which to be integrated with society. That would be my guess on what she meant. I felt like it was worded very oddly to sound like Soji was much smarter than she was, but I could just be kind of dumb regarding what she's saying. I'll have to go back and reread it and try to understand it. We cut to Picard getting beamed up by Captain Rios on this very, very cool, small little transport ship. And the ship is on the interior. It's very, very immaculately, immaculately kept. Picard walks in and Rios has a uh, tritanium piece of shrapnel lodged in his shoulder and his EMH, not Robert Picardo, by the way, uh, is trying to take it out. And they're having this discussion. And you're supposed to get the vibe that this guy, you know, he has tattoos, he's shirtless, he's smoking, he uh, had some like tequila or something and splashed on the wound to disinfect it. You're supposed to get the gist. This is a rogue. This is our like Han Solo, right? But Picard notices immediately that he has a book. Uh, I didn't catch the title, but it's a very thick book that's supposed to show that he's really an intellectual. And they have a discussion. Picard notes, hey, this ship is immaculately kept. Despite what you're trying to show to me, you are Starfleet to the core. Rios was the executive officer on a heavy cruiser, which I guess got disappeared by Starfleet, so it was probably involving some type of shady Federation dealings, and it, whatever the incident was, Rios's former captain died. He still has PTSD about it, so he talks to his EMH later and says, look, when I close my eyes, I still see his blood and brains splattered on the, the bulkheads. I don't know what happened. Hopefully they'll explore it, because that sounds like an interesting story. It's, it's very strange that the Federation would disappear an entire ship, so I wonder what they were doing. We've seen Starfleet cover up, for example, shady experiments. One time they were working on a cloaking device, and it phased an entire ship into an asteroid and that, that incident was covered up. It's not beyond Starfleet to do something kind of like that. We've seen incidents like that before. And I, I think the, one of the points of this series is that they're exploring the dichotomy between the idealist Federation, what they should be, and how can we reconcile that with all, all the times we've had crazy admirals, weird black ops, Section 31 being pseudo-sanctioned and in the Kelvinverse being an official branch of Starfleet. As I said in the last episode, I think this series is going to be the way that they try to start cleaning house and maybe bringing it back to, toward that more idealistic view. Picard's back at the vineyard and he's getting ready to go and he's saying his goodbyes to Laris and Jabon. So I keep, I, I mispronounced it last episode, it's not Zabon, it's Jabon, which is a very French sounding name, I kind of like it. And they're having a nice heart-to-heart. -heart. And like I said, I love the dynamic between these three. I would just love to see them sitting down, having a nice conversation. Uh, there, there's just oddly nice chemistry between the three of them. And we kind of get a little bit of pathos with Picard. He says, you know, for 14 years I tried to belong here. It, it's his family home, of course. But I tried to fit in. I, I just don't. I don't belong in this place. Even though I'll miss it, I'll miss you, I'll miss Jabon, I'll miss the smells of uh, the spring grapes, I'll miss number one, his dog. Um, I just don't belong here. Remember, again, at his core, he is Starfleet. He's an explorer. He wants to be out there uh, establishing new contacts with new races and finding new information. Uh, and the last 14 years, this is death for him. He's just been in this weird purgatory of existence. At that moment, 
Jalban walks in and he's about to pass him some parting gifts. Uh, shots is fired from a sniper, basically. Now, something that weird that happened was um, Jalban was kind of listing off all of these things that he's going to give Picard just, you know, for his trip. He drops it and he gets down and he the sniper misses him because he drops the item to pick it up. Now, these guys being Tal Shiar, did Jabon drop it on purpose so he could get out of the way and then get Picard and Laris pull them to safety? Because if Jabon had come running in the room saying, Guys, there's there's assassins out there! You gotta imagine the sniper would have taken that shot a little bit earlier, right? So, whether it was chance, that that's fine. I'm fine with it just being happenstance, but... I kind of prefer to think that Laris and Jabon are just that good as former Tal Shiar agents that they were putting on this facade. They knew what was happening that these assassins were setting up and they just had to play it cool for as long as possible so they could get Picard out of the way. Um, a fight scene occurs. Uh, Laris and, fortunately, Laris and Jabon do most of the fighting. Uh, Picard does a little bit of hand-to-hand -hand with his cane and he pulls out a phaser at one point. Um, I guess Laris and Jabon had hidden phasers around the chateau, um, and a couple of them were under the table, and he pulls them out. Uh, which is kind of nice, because despite how domesticated they've become, they still have that Romulan paranoia, and he, uh, Picard stuns uh, one guy. And this hit team is taken out. One more comes in from behind, and it seems like he has this trio in the sights when he gets shot from behind. And that's Dr. Gerardi, played by Allison Pill, from uh, Newsroom fame. Uh, that's the first time I ever saw her, and I love her as an actress. Um, she's... We met her in episode one. Uh, she worked at the Daystrom Institute. And she's just like, maybe, maybe he's just stunned. And Laris just dryly goes, yeah, Romulan disruptors don't have a stun setting. Sorry. And she convinces Picard that she should go along with him. They interrogate the stunned Romulan. It's this weird, so two scenes are happening simultaneously. And it all leads up to this one climax, which is the reveal that Daj and Soji, whatever they are, they're both something that, I guess, in Romulan mythology, which there is no mythology, right, is called the Destroyer. That's ominous. The captured Romulan at the chateau bites down on this suicide pill, and that's what killed Dodge in the beginning. I thought he was just spitting blood, and that was just some new uh, addition to Romulan lore, but it's a suicide pill. He bites down, and this acid consumes his body. But what's interesting is that, just like with Dodge, he spits it at Jabon, and it, the acid hits his jacket and it starts melting his jacket. Jabon quickly takes off his jacket to avoid getting burned by the acid. And I thought, that's that's very Romulan. That, okay, I'm gonna kill myself, but I'm also gonna have this be a final kind of attack on you. It's a desperation move. It's the classic, alright, my enemy, my enemy and I are back to back. I'm gonna stab through myself. I'm gonna die. I was gonna die anyways, but maybe I'll take you with me. And that's kind of a cool um, demonstration of the fanaticism of these guys. They have no problem sacrificing themselves for this cause, but they're gonna try to take you with them, or at least try to accomplish their goals. Back in the Borg Cube, when, where we found out that she's a destroyer, the Romulan woman playing the, with the tarot cards had that freak out. You're the destroyer! You're the destroyer! She grabs a Romulan guard's uh, disruptor, and she tries to kill Dodge and then kill herself, but Dodge does some bionic man stuff and runs across the room super fast and disarms this woman. Obviously, we're just getting further hints that Dodge is synthetic, but I think there's so much more here that I want to talk about uh, after this. Dr. Gerardi and Picard beam up to uh, Captain Rios's ship, where they are greeted, of course, by Captain Rios, but by Rafi. Rafi is going along. Rafi had been doing some hacking stuff and she found some information and she thinks that Bruce Maddox, who may have created Dodge and Soji, is on a planet or some type of area called Free Cloud. Now, we don't know what Free Cloud is uh, and we don't know why Rafi wants to go there, but my guess is that 
her child lives there, and this is kind of stereotypical. Uh, during the opening argument between Picard and Rafi, she says, I didn't just lose my career, JL. I lost... And then you go, oh, this is a classic drama. She, I don't know, in, during her depression, I don't know, her, her kid went off, her kid ran away, or maybe her former spouse took her kid because she was in such a funk. Uh, I lost my family because of you. And it's so cliche if that's what happened. And I can't see it being anything but that. We'll find out. But that's my prediction is that uh, Rafi's kid is... A, is on free cloud and that she's gonna try to reconnect with her uh, child. Picard says, engage, and they warp away. And that is the end of the beginning. Now, I wanna talk about some, uh, you know, some thoughts I had uh, over the course of the episode. First, I love the uniforms shown during that 14 years ago flashback. It's this really sharp uniform. The uniform shown from 14 years ago has this really nice design where it's, it, it's black, but only the shoulders are the division colors. And it has this really, really sharp and eye-catching uh, look to it. And I really, really liked it. And I wish they'd kept with that uniform instead. Um, they just look so much sharper than what we have now. Or it could have been a more of a dress uniform. Uh, you know, Picard was making a formal uh, request on behalf of the Romulan people, on behalf of this effort, so he wanted to look his best, so he put on his, you know, he, he dressed the nines in his Starfleet uniform. We don't really know, but I wish they had stuck with that uniform. I think it looks really, really good. When Picard comes out of Starfleet headquarters defeated, he looks defeated, and he sits down and he's talking with Rafi, and they're having this conversation. And Rafi seems like she's all in, in terms of wanting to rescue the Romulan people. She's like, okay, so what's the next step? You presented him with this option, with this option, what do we do next? Uh, she seems just as eager. She would fit in well with the TNG cast. They weren't afraid to shuck authority to do what was right. Uh, Picard betrayed authority to save Earth during first contact. Um, I mean, they did it very rarely. It was under extreme circumstances. This is an extreme circumstance. The Romulan people were about to be wiped out. We have to help them. We have a moral obligation to help these people. We're the Federation. We're Starfleet. He tells her, finally, you know, I tendered my resignation. I, I said, either you approve this plan to help the Romulans or I'm resigning. He goes, I didn't expect for them to accept my resignation. And she seems broken. She goes, I, I can't do this without you. Presumably she means lead, spearhead, keep moving toward helping the Romulan people. But then at that point, she gets an email, a message from Starfleet CNC. And she knows she's about to be discharged from the service. And she gets super pissed. Well, that's just great. You resign your commission and I lose my job. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You were just all in on this humanitarian effort. You seemed like you believed in it. And now you're more concerned about your career? Like, Starfleet is supposed to be above that. You should be concerned about helping the Romulans, not because it's going to help your career. That's a benefit of it, but because it's the right thing to do. Do you or do you not believe in the cause that he's spearheading, which is to help as many of these people as possible. It was such a mood whiplash for her to go, we have to do something, we can't accept this, we'll find a way. This is what you do, you're Picard, I'm sorry, you're JL. You do the impossible. Thanks a lot, I'm fired. And now she's being a sad sack? It was just such mood whiplash that I hated it. If it was, for example, if it was Riker, Riker would have said, okay, I'm gonna, I'll talk to the CNC, I'll see what I can do, and even if I lose my commission, we'll figure out a way. This is, we have to help these people. That's what Starfleet's supposed to be, and now you are undercutting Rafi's integrity as an officer by that. She, I mean, we don't know much about Rafi, but is she just a careerist? I don't know, I didn't read the comic, but that's what she seems like here. She also seems super fake, because she was super passionate at one point, and then she just dropped it as soon as she realized she's probably going to lose her commission. But also, why would they fire Rafi? Why would they discharge Rafi from the service? She's still a good officer. She was just helping Picard. She just believed in this cause. 
Why don't you just reassign her to someone else? You don't... It's not like Picard committed a crime, either. He just said, I don't agree with what you're doing, I'm tendering my resignation. This, this, that's a bad way to lead an organization. Okay, everyone under his chain of command is now fired. That's ridiculous. She's still a good officer. She went to the academy, presumably. Starfleet is the best of the best. She has valuable experience. She... What? I, I was just... It, that entire scene was kind of weird. But something the internet has been blowing up, up about, which is more of a nitpick than anything, is the overuse of JL. She kept using it. What do we do, JL? It's okay, JL. We're gonna figure out what to do, JL. Over the course of this, like, three, four minute conversation, she uses that term of endearment, this nickname for uh, Picard, so many times. Unlike the other people, I'm not bothered by the fact that she uses it, which is, you know, it's a very informal way of referring to your captain, because, for example, Riker always referred to Picard as captain. I'm okay with accepting that maybe the interpersonal dynamic between Picard and Rafi is different than that. That's fine to me. But the fact that she kept using it over the course of this conversation, it felt unnatural. Like it was forced by the writer. Okay, keep saying JL. We're going to make it stick. And then it's going to show that their relationship is very, very close. That, that there's some stakes to it. That there's this depth that they relate on a different level than Riker and Picard. I mean, that's fine. It's fine to do that. I mean, in the English language, we have pronouns for a reason. That way you don't have to keep referring to someone by, you know, their name. You can use you or captain. Change it up. Why is it always jail nonstop? It just felt like very, very bad writing that needed to go through another script right. Someone had uh, noted in another review, uh, Picard does look younger here. I don't know if they CGI'd him or they just made him up, but what they couldn't do is fix his voice. Um, it's coming... I'm slowly realizing that it's not Patrick Stewart portraying Picard as sounding broken. I mean, part of it is that he's acting in that way, but part of it's just that over time, Patrick Stewart's voice has kind of degenerated a little bit. Um, and of course, his mannerisms have changed, and even though he's channeling Picard again, it's ne it'll never be the same. It'll never sound the same. He'll never have that power that he had once upon a time, because you know, he's just gotten older, and your voice is going to kind of weaken a bit. It sounds a little more strained. Because um, he, he, I think he tried to put it on again here, but it just didn't sound... It didn't have that richness that it used to have, that kind of authority that Picard used to have, and I'm okay with it. You kind of just have to accept that over time. And Patrick Stewart is still doing his best. He still sounds great in his age, uh, but that's just something I noticed. Just going back to Rafi again, is Picard is despondent in this. And the fact that Rafi is angry more about her commission than that tens of millions of people are probably gonna die, that, that kind of bothers me a lot. That shows that like, okay, even if Starfleet was this idealized organization. Picard was a true believer, and he tended to choose officers who were true believers, or at least could convince them to become the optimists. And the fact that, I don't know how long Rafi served with Picard, the fact that she kind of had a surface level zealotry toward helping others to the ideal of what Starfleet is, she was able to turn it off. That bothers me, and that's that's not really good characterization for her if you want us to root for her. Why was Picard not willing to involve the TNG cast but was willing to pull back Rafi? Granted, Rafi has been disgraced along with Picard and maybe the remainder of the TNG cast still has their place of honor amongst the ranks of Starfleet, even retired. It, it, it just seems kind of... Okay, so you're willing to pull in some people, but not these other people. Why not? Uh, questions hopefully we'll see the answers to in the coming episodes as we get more cameos from the TNG cast. So Rafi is a disgraced Starfleet officer who couldn't find a job post losing her commission. Which is ridiculous. Starfleet is regarded in the Alpha Quadrant as some of the best minds and talents in the galaxy. Uh, they achieve the impossible is something that uh, the Star Trek Destiny series kept saying. 
the the Enterprise crew and Starfleet. They they can do the impossible. Even if though she lost her job, she lost her commission. She should still be able to find a a new job that will hot you know that will bring her on that will give her fulfillment. So the only speculation I have on why she is the way she is now is that she's she along with Ricard have been depressed for 14 years. And this brings us to the way that Rafi is living. Rafi is basically living in a in the desert in a in the future equivalent of a trailer. She smokes this like plant. I, I, I she gives a name but she's like vaping it and she drinks all the time. So she's constantly drunk, high and living in squalor. Um, we're going to talk about the economic situation after this because I think it's a really good issue we have to discuss. Uh, but right now, you kind of go, okay, you're living in a bad way. Why didn't you just get another position? It was something that was brought up on the R. Picard subreddit. People are assuming that since she lost her commission, she didn't have any money. And therefore, she had to live in, relatively speaking, less than ideal economic and social conditions. Whereas Picard got to retire to his estate, his vineyard, his chateau, as she says. And she makes fun of it. She says, you got to retire to your chateau with your elm beams. I'd show you around my, uh, my chateau, but it's more of a hovel. And it's supposed to show us the, depth that she, the depths with which she's fallen. And you go, wait a minute. There's not supposed to really be poverty on Earth or in the Federation. So you kind of have to change your thinking. If you understand that there isn't poverty in the Federation, why is she living like this? And it comes to choice. She's kind of choosing to live like this, but not for the reason that you think. I think Rafi might be clinically depressed. And when you're depressed or when you're mentally unwell, you can be cognizant that you're living in less than ideal circumstances. You don't have the energy or the motivation or just you're not in the right mental space to fix it, which can further, like you, you feel tired all the time. Everything is so draining. You don't see the point in it, which causes your living situation to de degenerate further, which causes your mental state to degenerate further. And it's this terrible, terrible cycle that lots of people get in where it's not that they're physically unable to pull themselves out of this situation. It's just sometimes it seems like what's the point? Sometimes it seems like life is so overwhelming. And that's the only real explanation I have for Rafi living the way she does. She could probably just order a house. That's a weird thing to say, but we have industrial replicators on Earth. She has the land or there's enough land on Earth or somewhere else where she could order a prefab house and it would be delivered. It would be very, very nice by our stand, you know, our current modern standards of the house. You know, she should probably customize it. Okay, I want a two floor house with this many rooms, this many bathrooms, with good sunlight here, here, and here. She could probably do that. She just doesn't see the point. She's a broken character. So she's just like, eh, I might as well just live in, live like a relative pauper, right? Uh, live like a drag on the outskirts of society, just vaping and uh, drinking. That'll be my depressed life. And that's the thing, is that in the future, you know, they've elim eliminated hunger. She's not starving to death. She has a replicator. She can eat as much as she likes. Uh, she has access to all these things. But to go that extra step for her to say, okay, I, I think I want a little more than this. She kind of has to put, put forth that effort. But because of her depression, uh, she's probably not. And... I guess we're going to see her be built back up by the end of it. I don't, you know, I'm not passing judgment whether or not this is a, a good thing or a bad thing to for Star Trek to be discussing, uh, but that's just my understanding of the situation. I'm happy that Hugh made a comeback. That, that, was a, uh, that was something I wasn't expecting, so Hugh coming back was good. I can't wait for season two. Hopefully Hugh and Guinan will have a reunion. And Hugh and Guinan had a really, really great dynamic in TNG where Guinan, portrayed by Whoopi Goldberg, uh, her race was wiped out by the board. And when she saw Hugh for the first time, she was suspicious of him. How can a drone understand individuality? But by the end, he had won her over and 
just now that he's free, you know, that could be a very heartwarming scene where, you know, almost a mother, mother, son kind of dynamic where, okay, I'm so proud of what you've become. You've bro broken free of the collective. The final shot of Picard saying, engage was nice because it cue the music uh, which they keep dropping every time picard gets closer and closer to space the first time he transports aboard captain reese's ship the slow nostalgic song starts playing and as we cut to the exterior of the ship and it goes to warp the theme song starts playing again in that nostalgic way uh, what was interesting was he says engage and it feels kind of hokey and maybe it's supposed to feel hokey because it was kind of just this hokey little thing from the 80s and 90s series right it's a it's you know it's a catchphrase do we really have catchphrase catchphrases anymore i guess game of thrones did with john i don't want it she's a queen in general we don't have that kind of repetitious catchphrase in the long form storytelling anymore after he says engage we get three different reactions which i think are more of a commentary on these the trek community we have Dr. Gerardi, and she hears it and she's giddy. Yay, we're off on an adventure. And I think that's supposed to represent the the nerds who stayed true to the franchise, who can see no wrong in what the franchise has done. They're still giddy to hear Engage. They're nostalgic for it. You cut to Rafi, though. Rafi, who during the course of her career probably heard Engage countless times. She kind of scoffs at it. And I think that represents the subset of the franchise who felt burned by the shift away from traditional Trek. Discover the Kelvin universe, Discovery, and Picard are a much different beast than uh, TOS, TNG, Voyager, and to a, to a lesser extent, DS9. Not only because of how dark they are, but uh, they're, t they're telling long-form serialized dramas one arc as opposed to episodic format so her hearing engage and her scoffing i feel kind of represents the fans who we've been burned by this franchise and now they're just trying to win us back with uh with nostalgia but i'm not going to be fooled cbs i'm not going to be fooled by your your nostalgic da, 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 or recasting Picard or saying engage I'm gonna scoff at it because I know it's already broken Star Trek is broken and then you cut to Rios who's just like yeah whatever let's go which you know is are just the fans who will keep watching out of inertia for Star Trek which I don't know where I fit in but I'm sure we all have felt pangs of it I've been excited at the return of Picard I've kind of scoffed at some of the things happening. And part of me is just like, yeah, okay, let's just, I'll keep going, I'll keep watching, I'll watch Discovery, whatever. Um, so I thought that was an interesting point. Now, uh, I wanna talk about some theories I have about the future, what's gonna happen. And then we're gonna talk about a question that was brought up on the Picard subreddit. So first, my theories. I think this kind of solidified the fact that there's gonna be some time travel shenanigans. The fact that Romulan mythology has Daj and Soji be referred to as destroyers means that something happens in the past, right? These are stories that are told that is going to instigate the creation of the Tal Shiar and the Jad Vash. Here's what I think it is. I think Romulans are either synthetic or they are responsible for the creation of the Borg or some type of synthetic galactic threat, which really is only the Borg from what we've seen. And that the Jad Vash, who, even though they are Romulan, even though they might be synthetic, are so fanatical to their cause of destroying synthetic life and preventing whatever prediction, whatever prophecy they have of, you know, harbingers of doom, synthetic harbingers of doom from the future, that they finally just said, look, we're on a bad track. We're getting closer to this deadline where I don't know, Galactic Armageddon is supposed to happen. And it's going to be our fault, so we're going to blow up our... We're going to supernova our own sun. We're going to sacrifice ourselves for the greater good. And in that way, the Jad Vash would be reframed as the good guys in retrospect. We've seen the Jad Vash are willing to sacrifice themselves. They'll suicide themselves to accomplish their mission. They're that fanatical. 
And if the mission is, alright, at this time, in the future, synthetic life is going to cause massive destruction, swaths of destruction across the galaxy. We have to stop it. And I believe we are responsible. You know, in the beginning they would try to alter the culture. Those alterations to the culture might result in stories, legends, and mythologies which further indoctrinate these Jadvash people. And as they get closer to this deadline, when the destroyer is supposed to come, they realize, ah, oh, screw it, we gotta just destroy our race, wipe ourselves out for the good of the galaxy. And that would just add a lot of depth, I think, to uh, Romulans. Why are they so paranoid? Why are they so insular? We're insular because we're trying to keep out the Federation who keeps creating synthetic life, keeps creating AI. We don't want them to normalize that behavior in the Empire. We are trying to prevent our own people from creating it because the moment that we create it, we are the cause of destruction. That's my theory. I have no clue if that's going to be true, but we clearly know that something's going on with Soji. She's obviously synthetic, but she knows things that she shouldn't know. Specifically, like information on individual drones and when like the last ship to be assimilated by this board cube was how would she know that information off the top of her head unless she was either a former drone or something like that so she's maybe she's a proto board queen maybe she's some kind of finalized version perfected version of the board queen these are my theories she's some type of borg she is the destroyer time travel shenanigans and Romulans causing massive destruction in the future. I mean, why else would the Romulans be interested in harvesting this technology from the cube, right? So I think that's what the Jadvash are trying to uh, prevent. And I don't know why the Jadvash haven't just blown up the cube and all the researchers aboard it if this thing uh, poses such a threat. Whew. Finally, uh, something that was brought up on the subreddit. Uh, when I say the subreddit, I mean R. Picard. And one of the questions that got me thinking last week was about the economics of Starfleet and the Federation. In First Contact, uh, Picard explicitly says, you know, we've grown beyond the use for money and things like that. And this has been inconsistent. We've seen f uh, Federation credits been referenced before, but why do you need money in a post-scarcity universe? Right? So they have replicators, they have virtually infinite energy. There's not really a need for money in the Federation. Now outside of the Federation, uh, they might need money. But for example, Captain Rios in this episode charges for his services. That would kind of make sense because he might have to leave Federation space and just need some type of currency. Something he can use to buy services outside of Federation space. Uh, that's what Latinum was used for on DS9. It was since DS9 was this uh, trading center for people both within the Federation and without, some type of standardized currency would be a good way for them to help uh, manage the economic inter uh, interplay. So what's happening? The Federation is post-scarcity. They're not communist. What's the difference? Capitalism and communism are systems of trying to manage an economic system where resources are scarce. Uh, but in the future, they have virtually infinite energy. For all intents and purposes, infinite energy, infinite access to food, infinite resources, infinite land. Uh, they can terraform planets. It would be very, very hard to reduce the Federation back to a scarcity state. When you're post-scarcity and every individual citizen can receive the basic necessities and those basic necessities in an abundance where, for example, if I don't have to work for food, healthcare, or anything, I cannot pursue my interests to the fullest extent and work on improving myself. And that's what Picard says. We're not worried about money anymore. Every individual can pursue their interests. And that's, that's the dream, right? If I didn't have to work my job, maybe I could pump out more videos for you guys. Maybe I could focus on music or writing or something like that. That would be a more ideal situation for me. 
and then each individual have their own pursuits and you know that's what was great about it but now we have we've seen workers working menial jobs for example the crew on mars they seem to be you know low-skilled workers working in a factory eating crappy food so what's the deal with that why is rafi living in poverty what's the deal with that so in a post-scarcity world in the federation theoretically you don't have to work right if i have a replicator and i can eat as much as i want all the time i don't have to work and no one's going to really force me to work so what's the deal with these low-skilled workers well my guess is that let's say i want i have a career path my career path is i want to be an engineer not even within starfleet i just want to be an engineer okay but my maybe my grades weren't good enough for me to get into an elite university i could because we've seen you can get rejected from university still or accepted uh dodge got accepted into the daystrom institute where she would continue her uh research maybe these guys because remember even though we're in the future and humanity has evolved there's still going to be levels maybe a strata of ability right a spectrum of ability you're still going to have your top tier levels your tng cast people the geniuses who can think on the fly can create complex situations you know the elites and then all the way down we've seen from dr bashir that mental disability is still a thing in the future so at the lower end of the spectrum those people still need to be integrated into society somehow you know given some type of job now the people we saw running the factory on mars you know there were manual laborers low-level laborers but maybe okay the thing is you start here and the end goal is to become an engineer and they work their way up they're gathering these skills as they go along more like an apprenticeship program they couldn't do it the traditional way of getting an education so they become an engineer through more hands a more hands-on approach and then maybe okay at the end point where they are now a more licensed engineer okay now what's the next step well they can enlist in starfleet they wouldn't be an officer but they could work in engineering with people like jordy and further their education okay now they've worked 10 20 years on a starship working with some of the best engineers and they've learned so much okay maybe now they can apply for the academy and that's my guess no one's forcing them to work they don't have to work i mean they complain about food but you know people are always going to complain but we're asking why would they work there if this the you know this conditions are so bad no one's forcing them to they could go back to earth you know find a house or have a house replicated for them have a replicator inside and sit around and do nothing all day and that would be fine but they've decided to try to work toward their own betterment it's just that due to their ability they have to start at a lower level and work their way up and that's kind of my guess on the economic situation is that it hasn't necessarily changed from what we thought it was uh, but if we kind of go through enough hoops we can kind of see that nothing is incongruent with them being a post-scarcity environment people they these get people just want to work and they want to further themselves not that they have to discuss why rafi would live in squalor that was her choice again she could probably have a, a very nice house replicated for her a prefab house uh, but she chooses not to because of her mental condition uh, captain rios why would he charge because he might have to interact with entities outside of the federation and we at the very least the federation does need a form of currency now you may not be charged for it for things like food but for example there has to be some some way to gauge the value of federation good for goods right so for example if so i made a comment on what if someone wanted to buy picard's land and everyone's like well how, how do you get land in the future well presumably that kind of bar that kind of system of purchasing goods and services still has to exist for certain things like land now there's enough land out there that for example i i want a, a plot of land to farm and a place to call home and raise a family well there's enough planets out there where i could probably just book a transport become a colonist and have my own plot of land but you know moving off world uh becoming a colonist these things aren't easy 
what if I want to stay on Earth and get a piece of land to myself? Well, I mean, at this point, I'm sure the Federation owns most land. And if you requested it, they would probably just allocate you some. Okay, here's some. Here's what we have. But maybe, for example, I want to open a vineyard. Hey, that Picard guy. That ha He has a nice piece of land. It's proven bountiful and fertile. And it even has a nice house. And I want it. I can't just take it from him. I can't just ask him. There would have to be some exchange of goods and services. Now, that what what would that bartering be? Okay, Picard, I'll give you five million chickens for it. Well, when we have replicators, chickens aren't really worth anything, are they? There has to be some type of value on some type of good in which we can exchange. And the interplay exchange would probably be in credits, because credits would have a set value relative to the Federation's economy, which would be based on, you know, whatever their resources and level te of technology and trade with people outside of the Federation are. Federation credits exist. They can be used to barter and purchase things that aren't easily replicated, like land, uh, like a starship, presumably. Well, I, I guess even a starship you could probably have made for you. Um, it's very, very unclear, and I'm, I'm if I'm struggling to explain it, it's because we're, we're still learning about this economic situation. It's never really been explored in any depth because it's hard to explain. There are, There is Federation credits, which is a currency, but they don't really need currency in the Federation. So uh, I'll keep thinking about it, but it was a great, great topic brought up by the, uh, the subreddit. Again, I just want to say, if you guys are interested in this series in uh, Star Trek Picard, please head over to R Picard on Reddit. It's a great community. We're growing. I, I mean, I, I'm not a mod or anything. I just, I'm happy to be part of it. And they've really, really, uh, it's a really, really positive space to discuss uh, this franchise, which I think we all love. Um, so anyways, I'll leave you with that. If you've enjoyed this review, if you've been enjoying my content, please remember to like and subscribe. Once again, hit that bell icon above me and you'll get notified when I release a new video. What did you guys think of episode three of Picard? Where do you think this is all going? Comment down below and I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can. Uh, otherwise, have a great week, nerds.